Section 3 of the Roosevelt Rundon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Cody Spain of Dallas, Texas. www.codyspain.com The Roosevelt Rundon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission by Candido Rondon, translated by R.G. Wrighty and Edwin Murray. First Lecture, Part 2. On the morning of the 16th, the Brazilian Commission gave a farewell breakfast to the officers of the Paraguayan gumboat in which Mr. Roosevelt and the members of the American Commission participated. The toast of honor was raised to the Paraguayan Republic, which, won again in common brotherhood, took such brilliant part in the honors bestowed upon the statesman, who of all brothers in present day represents the policy of American fraternity. That day we remained in Corumba, verifying the baggage of the American Commission and examining the convenient propriety of certain articles which, which they had intended to be used in the wilds. But on the following morning, having presented myself to Mr. Roosevelt ready to embark whenever he wished, we took the Noyak and left for the Taraguay, a river which enters the river Paraguay by various branches, one of which is called Rio Sino. It is on this branch that the landing stage of the Farinza des Palomares is, and we directed our course to it. But before arriving there, at 5.30 p.m., we sighted a giant anteater, Teramuda Bandera, which, with its clumsy gait, and small jumps, was wandering in the camp. This was one of the specimens of our fauna, which Mr. Roosevelt desired to obtain for the zoological collection of the Natural History Museum of New York. I ordered the ships to stop, and we jumped on shore, the dogs running ahead to embarrass the flight of curious quadrupped Kermit. Dr. Soledad and I completed the circle, and Mr. Roosevelt fired his Springfield gun, the type used in the North American army, of great precision and admirable penetration. The beast dropped, and we, delighted by this fortune commencement of our guest hunting expedition, congratulated him. He thanked us with great satisfaction, which was fully justified, moreover, by the beauty of the specimen with which he had just acquired, really worthy of providing a skin which will recommend to the admiring New Yorkers the entire race of South American anteaters. At eventide, the Noyak hauled up alongside the port of Rio Chineau, and on the next day Mr. Roosevelt left for the Fenzita del Palomares, whilst Captain Amaclar and I remained behind, as we were engaged in surveying the road across the marsh. On the same day, I prepared everything necessary to start the jaguar hunts on the following morning, and in order to eliminate the possibility of any personal accident, I adopted all the steps indicated by the experience of experts in this dangerous sport. To those who are not acquainted with the American feline except by name, or having seen him in a sleepy mood cowed at the back of a cage, or still more inoffensive in some museum with large staring glass eyes, wide open jaws showing his great teeth, with many people would willingly pull out and have mounted in gold as unequivocal trophy as some wonderful adventure, I would say that the jaguars are classified in three large groups. The Cercunias 
is the spotted jaguar and the black jaguar. The species of the first class are sometimes called pumas or lions, probably in order not to deny the rule that suggestive names are generally in contradiction to the character of the individual to whom they are applied. These are the most common, and in accordance with the latitude of the region in which they are found, present day a variety of coloration, from dark red they fade to yellow. When inhabiting the prairies of the south and towards the northern side of the Amazon district, they carry a black line the whole length of their back and a few stripes of the same color. The spotted group is sometimes divided into three varieties, with one wide patch on a whitish base and another large black patch on a reddish base, and the third with small black spots on a red base, lighter in color than the preceding one and smaller. The last two are called Cairninquas, and these are distinguished one from another by adding to the common name the Indian adjective Asiya, which means the bigger. In the marshes of the river Paraguay as far as the Poya forest, the spotted jaguars of the first and second varieties are to be found. Those of the third variety live in the Amazon, in the high wilds of the central mountain, and in the Plan Alto of the Marroquian Range, where they're scarce. The group of black jaguars exist, attached to that of the spotted division. Their bodies show patches of chocolate or coffee color on a black base. Although the name of the tiger is commonly given to this group, it's not, however, the most ferocious or the most audacious. These qualities pertain by right to the Caraguian Asu, an animal with enormous head, large paws, powerful claws, thick forelegs, the thighs of an athlete, and the size and weight equal to an African lion, in the opinion of Mr. Roosevelt. The hunt of this feline beast presents, in certain cases, serious danger. If at the moment in which the dogs find him and chase him, he has a full stomach, having satisfied his natural ferocity on the flesh of some victim previously slain, it is common to see him climb up the first tree he meets and remain there on the branches, quietly observing the surroundings from his refuge. Quite indifferent to the onslaught of the pack of hounds, and even the approximation of the hunter, on these occasions bringing him down is quite simple, and a safe operation without any risk. But, if the hunter comes upon the Caraguicu when he is prowling about, things take a different turn. It is the hunter that keeps him on the move, and the hungry feline is an irritated beast, crafty and audacious. He faces the hounds with aggressive resolution, and if any one of them more daring or less experienced does not know how to keep him at a convenient distance, with one sole blow from his mighty paw, the dog is thrown into the air, falls far off with his broken bones, bleeding, and almost dead. It is not necessary to be a nimrod to know the hunter. As soon as he ascertains from the barking of his pack of hounds that the beast is at bay, runs to the place where it is, endeavoring to arrive in time to avoid the loss of one of his dogs. When the jaguar comes face to face with the hunter, he no longer bothers about the dogs. He fixes his attention on the principal enemy, studying the best means to master him. Now one must be calm and steady, 
and have firm sighting and determination. One's legs must not be called upon at these moments to do more than to supply the strength necessary to sustain a still body without trembling, so as not to compromise the precision of the shot. And even if we did merit the epithet of the velocipedes like Homer's great hero, running would be of no avail, for we must either kill or be killed. Meanwhile, the hunter must not hurry to fire. It would be extremely dangerous to miss his mark. He must endeavor to find the best position and the opportune moment to mortally wound the animal at the first shot. It is, however, necessary to be wide awake. If the beast commences to wag its tail, there is no time to be lost. Either a sure shot brings him down, or he springs at the hunter as quick as a dart, and with a powerful bound throws itself on its prey. And at the last bound, standing erect on its hind legs, the jaguar is close up to its victim, subjugates him by the shoulders with his powerful claws and with formidable teeth, crushes his skull. Jaguar hunting is not devoid of danger for a man alone armed with a rifle. For this reason, in Matto Grosso, experienced hunters are accompanied by a man they call Azaguerreo, a name derived from Azaguerreia. Having its base a cross piece so that the steel blade, which is reasonably long, can only penetrate up to the same in the body of the beast. The Azazerio remains behind the hunter, but if some motive or other the jaguar should attack, his duty is to pass quickly and resolutely right in front of the hunter, attracting him on to himself the attention of the animal. With the Azizia in the rest firm and without attempting to make thrust, which would most certainly be paired by a stroke of the beast's paw, he waits until the jaguar, raising on its hind legs and throwing its body toward for the fatal grasp, springs on the steel which is presented to him. Thus the feline aggressor, blind with fury beside being wounded, remains at a distance, which renders it unable to use its claws, because the cross-piece of the spear impedes the shaft from running through its flesh at that point, the wound giving the man certainty of having his weapon free and disengaged for a new attack. The beast falls, but still full of vigor, returns to the attack with renewed impetus. Again it would be wounded, and again it insists in the struggle, until the hunter finds a favorite occasion to bring him down with a shot. It will thus be seen from the above description that the function of the Azizirio is not to kill, but simply protect the hunter during the time in which he is obligated to keep his gun in his hand and an insert weapon which he is momentarily unable to use. Nevertheless, either as a pastime or out of bravado, there are men who go jaguar hunting armed only with a zizia, spear. Obliging these beasts to show fight, they even succeed in killing them. Such a feat has a great deal of daring about it, and in this fact resides the charm found by those who use these methods. It is true that even when two hunters cooperate with one another, serious accidents still happen. I will relate one which took place some time ago in the very region where Mr. Roosevelt was about to hunt. One day a cattle breeder named Kakairo Rondon noticed that cattle in the fields were being worried, chased, and decimated by a jaguar. 
He therefore sent his hunters in search of its trail, with instructions to follow it up, discover, and kill the beast. In order to do this, two men left, accompanied by the necessary pack of hounds. One of these was a cablico, native, armed with a shotgun, and another gaikuru, Indian, an expert, agazaro. The dogs easily discovered the trail of the carnivorous animal, which was soon afterwards brought to bay in the midst of a clump of trees. It was a kaguruku which was protecting its offspring, like a couple of cubs which had taken refuge in a thick cluster of undergrowth. The men made from this spot, and whilst they were endeavoring to sight him, behold, suddenly, they saw him rising in the midst of the jungle, with some fury and swiftness that the Gakruian Indian had no time to make use of his weapon. But at that moment, in which the jaguar raising on its hind legs was about to lay hold of the poor Indian by his shoulder, he seized its powerful paws with a Herculean effort, held the beast in an uplifted position. The brute, infuriated, struggled desperately, and with the claws of his feet torn to pieces, the flesh from the thighs and from the legs of his stoic antagonist. The Capicolo, his companion, terrified at such a sight, had not the courage to assist him. Far off he heard the Agazero shout to him that there was nothing to fear as he had the jaguar held. Finally, as the struggle was lasting a long time, the Capicolo got up courage. Getting closer up, he fired his gun. The grains of the shot struck his face and perhaps even the eye of the beast, and under its pain it made one supreme effort and succeeded in releasing itself from the hold of the Indian and fled into the woods in the thickness of which it disappeared. The hero of this wild struggle was carried to the ranch, where he arrived in an almost dying condition, but after a long treatment he succeeded in recovering. It was now easy to understand what steps had to be adopted to avoid the unpleasantness of having to lament an accident in the course of Mr. Roosevelt's jaguar hunts. Having got everything together, we left the jungle on the early morning of the 19th of December. The party was composed of Mr. Roosevelt, his son Kermit, two Azazirios, and myself. It was not convenient that the party should be larger, for too many people only served to scare the game. We, of course, took with us a good pack of hounds, the best I knew of in Mato Grosso, which I had expressly brought together for this purpose, getting them from places afar off. However, on this day we found nothing else than a female Tamiundu, anteater, which was brought down by Mr. Kermit Roosevelt. In order to avoid useless tramps, I sent one of the Azazeros on the next day to beat the jungle, called Miguel Henrique and see whether he could find recent signs of the presence of jaguars. The man returned with the news that he had discovered a trail of the previous night, which revealed the passage of a couple of these felines into clumps of wood where they had taken refuge. We left at daybreak of the 21st of the spot, and a little after 6 a.m. we discovered the first jaguar, a splendid specimen of the ferocious Kangriku class, which was brought down by a sure shot from Mr. Roosevelt's Springfield. On the next day, we took the route to the Terraguay Vallejo and discovered the second jaguar, which was killed by Mr. Kermit with a shot from his Winchester. 
The land of the Fanzinda des Palameras comprise three kinds of camps. The first are plain and completely open, on the banks of the river Paraguay and Taquere, whose waters overflow and cover them from the beginning of the floods. The second are less low, but swampy, with clumps and belts of wood, and therein, which the brushes called Pipria of the Caprias family, are abundant. And finally, the firm land on the heights, never reached by the floods, which would serve as the last refuge for the cattle during the flooding of the marshes. These are so-called Carizidias, named after the Carizidia, one of the most beautiful palm trees of our forest. Such a variety of lands make it possible for the different representatives of which Brazilian fauna to live there almost in common. For this reason, the few days we remained on the ranch, all the hunting parties in which the two commissions had been subdivided, were able to get specimens of birds, quadrupeds, and quadrumanes, which in other regions live quite apart from one another, according to the habits of their respective species, whether be by water, prairie, or forest animal. The skins of all the animals killed were carefully prepared by the American and Brazilian experts to be afterwards handed over to the Museum of New York and Rio de Janeiro. This was, in fact, the real object of the journey undertaken by Mr. Roosevelt. Being passionately fond on the study of natural history, he'd come to Brazil moved only by the desire of adding to the zoological collection of the principal museum of his country. The specimens which were missing, and of those that were most interesting in supplying, were those relative to our jaguar, anteater, cabira, tapir, and pecari. End of section three. Recorded by Cody Spain of Dallas, Texas. www.codyspain.com.